Pause I Am Radio with your host, Robert Brining, sharing stories from across the United States and around the world. To join the conversation, call 929-477-3572. That's 929-477-3572. Each week, we'll bring you our exclusive HIV scoop with Josh Robbins and your positive message from Rise Up to HIV and Kevin Maloney. Your weekly dose of hope. Pause I Am Radio. Good afternoon and happy Sunday, everyone, and welcome back to Season 3 of Pause I Am Radio. I am so excited to be back on the airwaves. This is Robert Brining, uh, your host with the most, uh, here to give you, um, you know, a uh, uh, an hour, a show of, uh, of positive enlightenment and um, some encouragement. Um, today we have an amazing guest coming up. I'm excited. I've taken a few months off uh, to do some personal um, uh, work. Uh, besides physically working every day, uh, I've been doing a lot of different events and things like that, some of which I've done with our guest today, Guy Anthony. Um, uh, one of the things that I did uh, on the break, uh, I guess, over the summer was I went to Positive Living 20 um, down in uh, Fort Walton Beach, Florida, which was amazing. We'll talk about that because actually Guy was there as well for some of that. And uh, the Global Citizen Festival um, was something that me and Guy did uh, this summer, and it was amazing. It was an experience that um, it made me feel really uh, – I don't know, it's special. It made me feel uh, a part of something bigger to be there and represent Johnson & Johnson and, and, and to be there when they delivered that message on stage about uh, the vaccine going into human trials. Um, the one thing I do want to do before I bring our guest on today is I do want to um, talk a little bit about one of our positive partners here at the show, Kevin Maloney and Rise Up to HIV. Kevin is going through um, some difficult times right now dealing with some demons and is uh, getting some help. So I just want to put out some positive love to him, uh, some positive healing, and I can't wait to see him um, when he gets back at one of the events or a conference coming up, maybe even Healthy Voices I hope to be at next year in Chicago. Um, but um, we will still have some positive messages um, because he did start up that campaign again for you to send in your uh, positive message for living with uh, HIV. And also, I think I believe I saw it, end, it ended today. I don't know if it's still available. Is that the No Shame um, About Being HIV Positive t-shirts were on sale as well. So I'm not sure if that ended today, but you can get yours. Uh, go on Facebook and look up Rise Up to HIV. So I see today's guest is sitting on the line, and I am so excited to have this guy on. I met him at Healthy Voices um, over the summer in Chicago, and we didn't get to talk too much. It was, uh, you know, for me, it was the first time being there, so it was a, a new experience meeting new people. And... Um, I, I wasn't really sure, you know, much about Guy or who he was, and I just, you know, remember sitting there at the Purposeful Connections part of it, which was just for those living with HIV, the, the HIV advocates, and, and hearing him share and go, God, I need to have him on. I need to have him on. He's so smart. He's so wise. He's so, uh, he's so amazing, just the things that he's done, and he's so busy. He's always working. This man is, this man is definitely uh, a busybody and an activist. Um, from top to bottom. He is somebody who I admire, uh, somebody who I look up to, and I, and I hope to be as busy as, as him doing the amazing work that he does. So let me just go ahead and bring on our, our guest today. Guy Anthony, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you. Robert, that was so sweet. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing well. How are you? Can you hear me well? I am. I am doing well. I'm doing well. I'm just honored to have you on. You know, it's been 
one of the highlights of this past year of coming back in and getting involved again in health advocacy is is meeting you and and the others that we've met at you know healthy voices and stuff and just seeing you at the different events you know like when we saw each other positive living which was kind of ironic because i didn't know you were going i don't know if you knew i was going you know it just happened you were i turned around at dinner and there you were i was like i know that voice <laughs> i know that man <laughs> Yes, yes, yes. I'm, I'm honored to be on your show. So thank you for asking me to join you. I really appreciate it. Oh, well, thanks for coming on. So, so, so let's start a little bit from the from the beginning. Um, uh, we we like to kind of start of how you found out you were diagnosed, and then we can move into all the great things and all the crazy. You're so busy. Oh my God, I see you everywhere, <laughs> doing things on videos. You know, on on red carpets and. <laughs> galas and um, you know you, you have a lot going on that's incredible that you can keep up with all that man there's a lot there is a lot going on i do have an assistant i mean and i have a really uh, amazing team behind me i do not do all of these things on my own time management is my biggest friend um also my biggest enemy um but you know my diagnosis happened um in 2007 i was sexually assaulted in 2005 um while i was living in philadelphia and I was diagnosed two years later, and I knew that there was something wrong with me, but I didn't know exactly what it was. I like to tell people that I was the first person that I ever met living with HIV. You know, coming from Detroit, coming from a very religious family, uh, we didn't talk about sex often. We didn't talk about my sexuality often. Um, there was this idea that I was gay because I was outed by a family member after I disclosed my sexual abuse to my family. Um, and, you know, he was uh, he was being irony, and he decided to out me because he didn't want his business out there. So a lot of how I became um, an activist was sort of forced um, upon me and not something that I essentially just sort of picked up. Um, I just right. knew that there were people dying. There were a lot of, of my friends that were dying from HIV, and I knew that I couldn't be silent about it. I've always been this kind of person that didn't really give a fuck about what people thought of me or what people said about me. Right. Um, it could be, you know, just my growing up in Detroit in this very urban uh, area, this very hard knock life. Um, but I just knew that I could not allow any other, you know, black gay men die from this disease without knowing someone that is surviving. Um, and not only surviving, and I know it's very cliche, but I'm also thriving, you know, I'm loving, I have great sex, um, you know, I, right. I, still, you, I still do all the things that I did before I was diagnosed with HIV. So I don't let anything stop me. Um, and, and it's not all, it's not always easy. Um, and I often tell people that, you know, this disease has been more emotional than it has been physical for me. Um, you know, suffering from depression, being diagnosed with bipolar disorder, um, a few years back, it's been a lot of rough, rough days. But when I hear an introduction like the one that you gave me today, or I get a message on book from um, a, a Nigerian, a black gay man living in Nigeria who says, thank you, I bought your book, you know, from Amazon. Thank you for being so open. And, you know, thank you for celebrating the vitality of this disease. I just know that, you know, those good days are always, always going to outweigh those bad days. Um, so that sort of, in a nutshell, brings you up to date with, you know, how I became positive. Um, there was a, a lot of dirtiness in between, and, and I look, you know, I look forward to sort of uh, unveiling what that is during this, uh, during this podcast. Right. So one of the, um, 
One of the hardest things that I, I know that a lot of African-American men deal with is coming out. And like you said, you don't really, you didn't really talk about it at the time. How does yeah. your family deal with that now? Because you are so open about it. Is it, yeah. is it more accepted now or is it still kind of troubling for you? I think it's twofold. Um, a lot of African-American men, we don't have the luxury of coming out per se. So, you know, when National Coming Out Day um, you know, sort of came around this year and every year, a lot of black gay men are like, you know, well, that's not our story. We don't necessarily celebrate in that day because we don't have the luxury of coming out. Either we come out or we're forced out and we're ostracized from our families. That's a lot of our narratives. But for me, I think because I accept me and I am okay with me, everyone else has to be, if that makes sense. I don't necessarily leave my happiness, you know, in the hands of other people. So people don't ask me about it in my family. It's not something that we talk about, um, but I don't go home often. There's a mutual respect. And I had to teach people how to respect me, my mother included. You know, there was one time we got into this tiff about something she saw on Facebook, you know, about my homosexuality and about me being so forthcoming. And I said to her, I said, hey, Ma, do you have Facebook? And she says, no. And I said, well, don't talk to me about something that you've not seen with your own eyes. And I hung up the phone. Right. And after that conversation, mm. we never, ever had a conversation about my life because I'm okay with it. And if I'm okay with it, everyone else has to be okay with it. But everyone is, is not there yet. Everyone does not necessarily have that sort of, you know, that sort of courage or that sort of matter of fact about their lives. And I think that that's something that I'm, I'm hoping to inspire people to be is that you be okay with the decisions you make in your life and everyone else has to fall in line. If not, then those aren't the people that should be in your life. It's kind of simple, but it's not that simple. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's kind of like one of the things that I always say is stigma kind of starts with us. It's uh, yeah. kind of how we perceive exactly. ourselves when you walk around confidently, like you walk around very confidently. And I think that yeah. that comes across in, in, in who you are and, and how you share your story. And that is something that, you know, I'm hoping that maybe younger um, African-American gay men who may be dealing with this situation, um, you know, can get from this and, and can learn from you because you are somebody who, you know, can be a mentor to them and, and they can look up to yeah. it. And that's really why I want you on the show, because you are so <laughs> put together, <laughs> at least from my oh, eyes over here, you know, you, you are so put together. You know what I mean? I don't know what's underneath and whatever, but I'm just saying in general. You know what I mean? You have yourself out there and you're helping other people. It's not about you, but in the end, you're helping yeah. yourself too by helping others. And it yeah. shows. Yeah. And, and, and I often say that like my healing comes from like people reaching out to me, you know, like it's so interesting that you say that I'm so put together because I think that I'm such a hot ass mess underneath, which is okay, <laughs> which is okay. One of my favorite quotes that I've ever, uh, that I've read before, it says broken crayon steal color. You know, like it doesn't, mm -hmm. it doesn't matter that sometimes I'm depressed or sometimes I can't pick myself out of bed. But for the most part, 90, 95% of the time I do. So I'm allowed to, you know, wallow sometimes and not be okay. And that doesn't make me any less deserving of love or affection or respect. And so I think that that's sort of the message, um, you know, especially when I'm talking to younger kids, not younger kids, but younger guys and some older guys too, it's all about like how you see and how you view yourself. And if you view yourself as someone that's, you know, undeserving of love or ugly or unattractive, then people will view you that way. And I know it's easier said than done, and it takes a lot of practice, but 
I mean, it's worth it, if I'm honest. And I'm only 31, but I don't, people don't know sort of the turmoil that I've gone through. I mean, I've, I was molested as a child by three family members, you know, from the ages of 8 to 12 years old. And so if anyone knows what that's like or has experienced, you know, some traumatic sexual or physical abuse, you deal with that for the rest of your life. It never goes away. You know, it's sort of, it, it, it's in the way that I love, you know, it, it, it's in the way that I see the world. And so it's affected a lot of things in my life. But I could, you know, wallow. I could, you know, attempt to uh, attempt suicide, which I did in, high, in college, you know. But a lot of people, they see the finished product, but they don't see the clay, but like the molding of all the things that you had to go through to sort of walk in speaking your truth today. And so I think it's important, mm -hmm. like, what you do what Kevin Maloney does, you know, I love you some Kevin, you know. I think he's yeah. so honest and so transparent, and you are as well, about the shit that we've had to go through, the mud that we've had to really experience in our lives, and people can sort of relate to that. And so I think that that's why I'm so relatable is because I don't shy away from my mental health or I don't shy away from the fact that I committed suicide or I don't shy away, you know, from the, the, the affected um, relationships in my life. I, I just speak that. And I think that that's what more people need to do is not just sort of be shiny and be the shiny nickel, but, you know, like talk about some of the dirt that you had to go through before you were washed clean. And so this mm -hmm. is what your show does. So that's why I'm happy to be on it. <laughs> yeah. I like talking about dirt. <laughs> me so, too, man. Um, me let too. me, uh, <laughs> it's fun. So I want to uh, take a quick break and listen to one of the positive messages we have here uh, from Rise Off to HIV and Kevin Bologna. And I want you, I want to talk about um, like healthy voices and kind of all the different yeah. events that you've been, you know, the conferences that we've been at that we've seen each other and, and, and talk about like what your experience was there because positive living is like my favorite place to be. So I want to, I want to hear what you thought about it. Have you been there before that? No, this is my first time going. Yeah. Okay, cool. So yeah, I'll get your feedback when we come back. So let's hear, uh, this is uh, Bruce Richmond, uh, his positive message um, for the U equals, well, he's, I don't know if he's representing U equals U in this message, but this is his, uh, uh, his positive message and he's the founder of the U equals U campaign. So take a listen. Hi, my name is Bruce. I'm from Brooklyn. I was diagnosed with HIV in 2003 and I became undetectable in 2010. My positive message is that this is an incredibly exciting time to be living with HIV because we know now that we have treatment that not only protects us, protects our health and, and enables us to live long, healthy lives, but it, it protects our partners from getting HIV. We cannot transmit HIV when we're undetectable. Um, so I guess the message is, is if you're considering treatment or you're on treatment, please understand that if you take your meds and stay undetectable, you won't transmit HIV. You'll stay uninfectious. It's very exciting. We can have sex and intimacy and, and babies with our partners without fear, without shame, and without stigma. Cool. And there you have it. And for more, um, yeah, he's, he's incredible. He was actually at Positive Living. Did you um, get to see him yeah. or meet him? Yeah. Yeah, I saw him. Um, I didn't get to meet him, but I did see him. Um, I think it was the, uh, the, the opening reception. And, you know, I okay. had never heard of this. I had never, ever heard of this conference before. And I was like, why the hell have I not been, you know, to this conference before? And it was just so awesome, the camaraderie, the love, the respect that everyone in that room showed each other and the diverse group of people in that room. And that was the first conference I had ever been to where it was put on by positive people and it was for positive people. 
and I've been, you know, living with HIV for 12 years. I've been diagnosed for 10, and I left with such just uh, high, like, regard for, you know, the people that are long-term survivors, because some people would even consider me a long-term survivor, even at 31, mm -hmm. you know, and and I didn't feel like I was not a part of the the conversation, and that's what, you know, I hate about some of these conferences that are HIV AIDS specific or targeted is that often I feel like I'm not a part of the conversation. And, you know, it's directed to people staying negative or prevention methods. And then they have these little, you know, affinity rooms for positive people that are all the way in the back of the hotel or on the 30th floor <laughs> where we're like sequestered <laughs> from everybody, you know, it's, and it's just like, this is the first conference where I felt like, okay, wow, this is for me. And Healthy Voices, you know, is also another conference that I feel is for me, but it wasn't necessarily HIV AIDS specific. Yeah, I agree. Healthy Voices was amazing because like, you got to meet so many people across, you know, the health spectrum and, you know, just advocates, yeah. you know, fighting for different things um, and, you know, being able to kind of work together and use each other's ideas to, you know, to, to help each other's causes. And I, that's what I loved about that. But Positive Living, Butch yeah. McKay, who's actually negative, who's the guy who actually runs the, uh, who's been running the conference for wow. 20 years. Um, yeah, he he's an incredible guy. And, and that conference, like you said, it's just, there's so much love there. And like you said, it, it's yeah. for the positive person where other ones you go to, it's a lot of statistics, you know, like people are mostly familiar with going to like maybe the ADAP conference because that's kind of a yearly one. And that's kind of very, yeah. uh, you know, numbers and, and words, word play for like uh, medicine pharmaceutical companies and stuff like that. So it kind of can be boring for maybe somebody who's looking for inspiration who's living with HIV, yeah. and that's why I love positive living. I mean, tell me yeah. a little bit about, because you were at ADAP uh, this year in D.C. before you came to the Global Citizen. What was that like for you? I, I didn't do the ADAP conference this year. I did it last year. Oh, yeah, well, where were you at before year. Global Citizens then? I was, oh, my God, where was I at? I'm trying to think. My schedule is, like, crazy. I, because I, I flew in that day, didn't I? I took the train in from somewhere. Oh, I was. I thought you came from DC. Um, oh, I'm sorry. I, it was the ADAP Advocacy Coalition Conference. That's the conference. Oh, okay. Because there's, gotcha. there's an ADAP conference, and then there's the ADAP Advocacy Coalition um, conference. That's um, that's put on every year as well from um, the AAA plus organization. Gotcha. Yeah, I gotcha, know, right? Gotcha. Okay, so tell me, <laughs> there's a lot going on, but that's good. No, it's good because it's good that other, you know, activists are covering things because I never heard of it. So it's good that at least somebody's there representing us and, and you know, being a part of fighting the cause. Tell me what you thought of uh, the Global Citizen because that, for me, was amazing to be there oh. and experience that with Johnson & Johnson. First of all, I mean, I, I know that they don't pay us to, you know, sing their prayers, <laughs> but... They don't, you know, but Johnson & Johnson, right. um, one of, they're just an amazing organization. The people that they employ are incredible, like our Becky, our Tara, like mm -hmm. we thoroughly Christina, love them. You yeah. know that. Christina, all of them, you know, they are, their heart is in the right place. And a lot of times when you think of pharma, you think of like, you know, um, removed or just throwing the money at the problem or, you know, trying to get the solution, but they're genuinely invested in people. And that's what I enjoy the most. And so when we got the offer to sort of be ambassadors, I was like, what? Because a couple of years ago, I remember watching it and I remember Beyonce performing. Remember? And it was mm -hmm. like, no, what? I don't. I never heard of it before. 
Oh, my God, you have to go on YouTube. It's on there. Beyonce performed, and it was in partnership with Gucci, of course. And I just remember, I was like, I would love to be there one day. And so I remember getting that email. I think I was on travel to Florida for something. And I got that email from Becky, and I was like, what? But then I, had, I was double booked. <laughs> and so uh, Becky, she says, guys, we want you to be an ambassador, so we'll work around your schedule. But in, And honestly, those are the type of people that, you know, Johnson and Johnson employee. And so I remember when I found out that you were on the email chain too and that we would all be there together, I was just so excited. <laughs> um, because we always have a good time with each other. And, you know, yeah. I remember we were supposed to go on stage. Remember we were supposed to go on stage and sort of introduce yeah. um, the J&J family. And then, you know, Becky was so heartbroken because we couldn't go on stage, you know, because of time. And we were like, yeah. we don't care. We just wanted to be in the audience. Right? We, wanted to, <laughs> we don't care about those things. And so it was just incredible. We were VIP, obviously. Yeah. Um, we were VIP all, all the way. We got some good swag, too. Yes. We got some amazing, amazing <laughs> swag. I actually wore my um, I wore my um J and J jacket the other day um in the rain here in Brooklyn, and everybody. So did I. I actually showed it I in Philly. What? <laughs> <laughs> but you know that. It, it, yeah. It, like they, they're awesome. They, they wanted us to enjoy ourselves. You know, the announcement that they made was incredible. Um, everything was just awesome, and so I hope that we are able to be ambassadors again next year. I'm just putting that out into the universe. Yeah, yeah. In case they're listening. <laughs> Yeah, no, yeah. I, I, I love them all. And actually, who, who yeah. was your favorite performance? Um, I want to say Stevie Wonder when he brought out Pharrell. What? Yeah. When they sung Happy yeah, Together. Yeah, that was crazy. First of all, oh, my God. Like, I, first of all, like, you know, the drinks were flowing. The food was good. We had sushi all day. Yeah. And I just remember, first of all, we were so close to the stage. I remember that. I think I lost you guys because I used the bathroom and I couldn't find you anymore. But I was, like, still like, <laughs> super close to the stage. But when Stevie Wonder came out, like, I've been a fan of Stevie Wonder forever. My mother, every Saturday morning, she would clean up to Stevie Wonder. Um, and we would do our chores to Stevie Wonder. So to actually be in the audience and see him perform just like he did in the 50s and the 60s, and then share the stage with Pharrell to sing one of my favorite songs, Happy, mind blown, Robert, mind blown. (laughs) Yeah, it was a really dope experience for me, man. Yeah, it was cool. I actually enjoyed, I grew up, I'm 38, so I'm a little bit older than you, but, and I kind of like grew up in the 90s, yeah. and, and I remember like Green Day coming out, and, and Dookie oh, yeah. and that album, and you know, when they came out on stage, I was kind of like really, I felt like a little kid again, like I was in high school, because they were playing like some old school Green Day, and, and they were amazing. I mean, he was, he was incredible. He could still rock the house. He's, and he looks the same, too. I was like, do these rock yeah. stars age? Like, you know, it's so incredible. That, that whole night was, you know, an experience to remember. And then we were in Central Park and, you know, for this event, which was invite only. And we, I don't know, man, it was just an amazing, amazing energy that night, for sure. Yeah, one of the cool, one of the cool things was I got to, um, uh, we were there taking photos for the donate a photo for Johnson & Johnson. That was uh, part of the things that we did. And we were trying to get people to, uh, uh, you know, come over and take a photo. Uh, if people aren't familiar with the app, you can look it up on your in the app stores. Uh, donate a photo. And every time you uh, take a photo using this app, you pick your cause. So we were kind of 
drawing people in and um christina was like my wing girl and every time there was somebody famous in the crowd i be she'd be like come on robert let's go and we got mark cuban to actually come over and take a photo in the yes. booth with me which was kind of incredible uh you know we met yeah. some pretty cool people people there it was nice so um we did. We yeah let's uh, thank people <laughs> yeah we did and and hoda hoda was there and um yeah. there was a uh, there was a couple people that I saw that I, I wasn't I wasn't familiar. There was some show that they were telling me about. Some blonde was there on some show. I forget, but I wasn't familiar with the show. But she was right next to me the whole time we were singing in the concert. So anyway, listen, let's take a quick break and uh, slide over to uh, Josh Robbins. Uh, we want to uh, take a listen to this week's uh, the all-new HIV scoop with Josh Robbins. So uh, we'll be right back with Guy Anthony. This is the all-new HIV Scoop with Josh Robbins, exclusively for Pause I Am Radio. This week's buzzworthy sexual health news in under two minutes. Here's Josh Robbins with this week's HIV Scoop. Well, hello, everyone. I am Josh Robbins, and this is the HIV Scoop. So, well, 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 welcome back. Everyone, to another season of Pause I Am Radio, the HIV Scoop Edition. I hope you guys had an amazing week. And Robert, I hope you enjoyed your time off. And shame on you, because we've all just been waiting on you. Just just waiting. right, Waiting right here by, by our speaker, just waiting on you. And we missed you greatly. And I'm glad you got to, to hear me again today. Okay.com. All right. I'm, again, I'll be giving you guys buzzworthy sexual health news with a little bit of I'm Still Josh Spice. Spicy. All right, so first up, do you remember that Puerto Rico had a huge hurricane? I mean, hello. Remember that Donald Trump was also tossing paper towels to the crowd and fighting with the mayor there? Well, according to Newsweek, people are that are living with HIV or diagnosed with AIDS are having an incredibly hard time getting treatment and even being seen by a physician in Puerto Rico. Quote, Carmen Cruz, the mayor of the Puerto Rican capital of San Juan, said the government is doing everything it can to get medical help to people with HIV and AIDS. She said they stocked up on medications and other supplies before Maria hit. But they quickly ran through most of it, end quote. There are more than 20,000 people with HIV in Puerto Rico and activists. Hey, listen up. You need to amp up your pressure to get these people taken care of. We will keep you posted. Next, in keeping the politicians honest segment, Democratic Senator Edward J. Markey said that the Trump administration's plan to use funds for HIV and AIDS programs to fight the opioid addiction crisis is unsound. Specifically, the Massachusetts senator said that increased opioid abuse has led to an increase in HIV and AIDS. Quote, the administration's proposal to reallocate funding from HIV AIDS programs to the opioid crisis is robbing Peter uh, to pay Paul, especially as HIV and AIDS rates spike due to increased heroin and fentanyl use, the senator said in a October 26th statement, end quote. So is that true? Well, in a world without data, that may very well be true. But according to the CDC data for the past two monitoring cycles, those who inject drugs and share needles, yes, could be at an increased risk personally. But as a group nationally, they've actually had consecutive declines in new infections. Politico said this statement was mostly false. And guess what? I agree. Having a good message and protecting the truth can actually coexist. Too bad it didn't happen in this senator's statement. And that's that. I'm Josh Robbins. Stay positive. Keep living. This was your HIV Scoop.
And there you have it. Thank you, Josh Robbins, for that HIV scoop. You can find more about Josh by going to imstilljosh.com. Our guest today, Guy Anthony. Uh, I just want to put your website out there real quick. People can find about you by going to imguyanthony.com. Uh, I want to talk about your, uh, organi- your, about your organization, Black Gifted and Whole. Tell me about that. How did that start, and what is that about? Yeah, man. Um, well, it started in 2015, um, and I was watching. I don't know if you guys have heard of this show called Black Girls Rock. Have you heard of that show? It comes on BET. It's like no. an annual show. Every, it's an annual show every year, and it's also a nonprofit, and it celebrates black women and music and television and literature and just, you know, just really affirming black women um, because they aren't necessarily represented in all facets of the media. And so right. I just remember, you know, watching that show one time and coming home and, like, being really discouraged because, like, there was nothing on television that celebrated black gay men. You know, when you turn on the television, there's Will and Grace, and, you know, they have very um, progressive relationships or, you know, there's uh, just a myriad of other shows that celebrate, you know, like, white gay men in a positive light. But then when you see, like, black gay men on television, we're on the reality TV show, you know, we're wearing heels, we're wearing makeup, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. But there are many types of black gay men that should be represented. And that was something that I just felt we needed to celebrate in a sense. And so I called them, like, six or seven of my really close friends and associates in Washington, D.C., when I was living there, and I said, let's, you know, have a honoring ceremony um, called Black Gifted and Whole, where we celebrate black gay men, you know, in literature, in the government, um, on television, in music, um, in college, just celebrate them for who they are. And we did. And man, the response was incredible. Um, Almost 300 people showed up. Um, We celebrated the people. We raised money. And then directly following that, the response was so overwhelming um, that we decided to make it a nonprofit. And so last year, um, you know, we applied for our 501c3 status and we received it. And literally, it's been history ever since. And so what we initially did was we, we wanted to mentor young black gay men. And I don't know if you guys heard about that uh, CDC statistic that came. I don't really listen to statistics. Um, because I just they have a way of sort of shipping, um, shaping the narrative in a, in a negative way. Um, but they say right. um, one in two black men will be infected with HIV in their lifetime. And so I literally took that to heart, as well as my other friends and associates. And we were like, we don't need another HIV AIDS organization. What are black gay men suffering from? What do they need? And they need mentorship, and they need big brothers, and they need access to services, and they need money for college, and they need grantorship so that they can get apartments. These are the things that they really, really need. And so maybe if we sort of help them, um, you know, attain these things, maybe they won't be subjected to HIV in alarming numbers, right? And so that's what right. we did. And so we, we decided to um, – work with young black gay men that were attending historically black colleges and universities. And I don't know if you know, but two-thirds of black gay men that attend public schools do not finish within six years. That's a problem, you know? And so we really wanted to sort of speak to that. And so we uh, went to a school, a high school in Washington, D.C., called A School Without Walls, and we wanted to talk to their SGA 
uh, I'm sorry, not their SGA, but their, like, um, their safe space. We wanted to talk to their safe space and sort of see if they were black gay men that attended this safe space so that we could possibly mentor them and help them with their transition from high school to college. And one um, one guy, his name is Jawan Durbin. He is a sophomore at Morehouse University in Atlanta now. Morehouse College, I'm sorry. And he, you know, he just took our bait. And he followed up with us, and we followed up with him. And he was just like, hey, I want to go to an HBCU. He was like, I need big brothers. And so we literally fought for him. We mentored him. We were his big brothers. Um, and in the interim, we got him accepted into Morehouse College, the only school that he wanted to go to. But we also connected him to sexual health and wellness organizations to make sure that he understood about mental health and to make sure that he was connected to HIV screenings and STI screenings, um, you know, because it's, it's not always about sexual health with these young, with these young guys. Um, they've already been having sex, and so we're not here to say don't do that. We're just saying here are some safer sex practices for you to sort of learn while you transition from high school to college. But in the interim, let's also connect you and provide you with resources so that you can stay in college. And that's exactly what we did. And so after that year, you know, we, um, we started to get more press and we started to get more write-ups on a national level, and more money came in, and then we were awarded $50,000 by an organization in New York, and we were able to bring on five additional ambassadors um, from different HBCUs across the country, and we've been able to provide them with $4,000 apiece so that they can stay in college. And it's very difficult, you know, for black queer men um, to stay in college because a lot of our parents don't have the resources. You know, a lot of us are first-generation graduates, so we don't necessarily have that mentorship or that pipeline um, about what we should do after we go to college because we're usually the first ones to graduate from college or the first ones to attend college. So we realized that that's exactly what black men needed. They need mentorship. I didn't necessarily have a mentor in college, and I zero converted in college as well. And a lot of our mentors that would have been around, they all died from complications of HIV. You know, there, was, there wasn't the sophisticated treatment then um, when we were growing up. And so we definitely wanted to be that resource, that big brother, that not even a mentor, because mentor is such a weighty word. You know, we're just big brothers. Yeah. And we, and we just help guide them. And we don't necessarily have all the answers, but we do have an ear. We do have resources that we can connect them with. And that's exactly what we've been doing. Yesterday, um, we have three mentor, mentees, little brothers that are in D.C. for the Human Rights Campaign HBCU Summit that's happening over the weekend. And um, Michael Moore, who attends Bethune-Cookman, he called me yesterday. He texted me, and I was moving. And he was just like, I just need to talk, big bro. Can you call? And, and I was super busy. <laughs> I, I was super busy, Robert. But I was moving, and I was like, you know what? This is what big brothers do. You stop what you're doing, and you listen, and you talk to your little brother. And all he wanted, you know, was some advice about changing, changing his major and blah, 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 blah. And I talked him through it, and I empowered him and, you know, encouraged him. And you told him I loved him, and he felt better. And you'd be surprised how much a five-minute conversation can positively impact someone else's day or life. 
and that's what we do. And so, you know, we started in a very niche um, category with providing scholarships for black queer men attending HBCUs. And in January, we're expanding to all universities and community colleges and trade schools because we don't believe that excellence is just relegated for people that attend four-year universities. No, there's excellence everywhere. And so if you want to go to, you know, cosmetology school, who's to say that you shouldn't have a mentee, I mean, a, a big brother or a mentor or financial assistance? And so that's what we're doing. And so far, oh, man. That's awesome. I it's, think it's incredible. <laughs> thank you. It's, it's incredibly rewarding because a lot of times I don't know exactly where my life is going. And, it, and you may think I do, but I really don't. But just getting a text message, you know, from my little brother that, says like, hey, I value your opinion, that lets me know that I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. Yeah, no, it's awesome. And I say kudos, uh, you're definitely changing lives and, and helping Thank so you. many people. And I just hope that it, you know, gets better and better. And, 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 you know, you help more and more and you get more support. I mean, it seems like it's, it's, there's only one place to go and that's up. As long as you're behind it, I think Thank it'll be you. okay. Um, one of the things I want to talk about is your book because it's yeah. funny because I just did a couple sur- I just did some online surveys and they just sent me some Amazon gift cards and I'm sitting here and I'm like, okay, you know, what am I going to buy, you know, on Amazon because I really I like to look at things before I buy it. And then when I was checking out your your website, I was like, oh, let me see what his book. And I went there and it took me right to Amazon and I'm like, I'm going to order his book, <laughs> you know, and use my gift cards. But tell me about your book and and where the idea of it came from. Oh my God. Okay. So um, this is one of my favorite things that I've ever done. People always say, like, you're an author. I'm like, no, I just write. You know, I, I had a story, and I, and I wanted to write it, you know. But I, so I was, like I told you, I was diagnosed in 2007, um, and I moved to Atlanta really to save my own life. And I don't know if you know, but during that time, there was, like, a five-year wait for ADAP services, you know, Georgia didn't expand Medicaid. So there were a lot of people going mm-hmm. without um, care and there were a lot of people dying. And I remember hosting a dinner party because I'm one of those gays. Yes. <laughs> I love a dinner party where the cocktails are flowing and there's a lot of conversation. You know, the, the, that's what keeps me going is sort of my relationships with my brothers. And I remember being at that dinner party in my house and literally everyone there was HIV positive. And they all told me because I was volunteering at, an, at, you know, an ASO in Atlanta, but they weren't necessarily talking about it to each other. And they didn't necessarily feel empowered about their disease. And I was just like, you know what, this is an issue. And so I, could, I talked to my mentor. Um, his name is Craig Washington. He's still in um, Atlanta today. And he was the executive director of that ASO. And I was just like, you know what, Craig, I want to write this book. Um, about, you know, living positively with HIV and and not really focus on sort of the morbid aspect of it. And I wanted to include all these different narratives and different stories, sort of like an anthology. And, you know, he read the book. I I, I spent like six to seven months like writing the book, doing research, um, and just talking to other people living with HIV. And I sent him my manuscript. And I said, I want you to write the forward. And he said, yes, I'll write the forward. But then he sent it back. And he says, I will not write your forward unless you include yourself in your book. I, it seems mm. like groundbreaking today, but I, I, I removed myself from the book. 
you know, because I wasn't, my uh-huh. parents didn't know, my family didn't know that I was positive. And so, you know, imagine me telling all of these incredible stories of people living and loving with HIV and me not include myself. And so at that moment, right. it forced me to come to terms with my diagnosis. It forced me, he forced me inadvertently to um, come out to my mother. And, and I always say it, once I told my mother, I literally didn't care what anybody else thought. I just only cared about what she thought of me. And, you know, we right. had a two-hour conversation. We cried. And she says, guy, you're an adult. She says, even if I told you no, I'm sure you were going to write it anyway. And I said, you're damn right I was. So <laughs> at, that, at that moment, I included myself in the book. And, and initially, Robert, there were 10 black gay men living with HIV that I was going to profile in this book. But it's so interesting when it was just the thought um, or in its you know, beginning stages, everybody was on board. But when they, find, when they realized that I was serious about it and I'm serious about writing it and getting a publisher, um, uh, eight of them dropped off. And that, wow. and, and that was sort of heartbreaking to me, but it also, um, it spoke to the stigma of HIV in our community because, you know, once they realized that it was going to go to print and that it was going to be available on Amazon and that I was going to have a book reading and an event, they were like, oh, no, 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 I can't have people know. I'm not comfortable. And so the two people that were comfortable with it are in the book, and I included myself. So. Um, I asked them, you know, I asked each of us to write a letter to ourselves pre-diagnosis. And then, you know, I took quotes from um, reputable uh, websites from the CDC, from Black AIDS Institute, from NMAC. um, And I, you know, added some anecdotes. And then I partnered with a therapist. His name is Jonathan Diggs, who's a clinician. And I wanted him to do, you know, a portion of the book um, about, you know, finding out um, when you're diagnosed until some of the steps you should take internally. And I just really wanted it to be a comprehensive book for someone newly diagnosed um, that was, you know, diagnosed with HIV. And so far I've sold over a thousand right. copies on my, on my own without, you know, any backing. Um, and it's been on Amazon since 2012. I have two editions of the book and it's been doing really well. And so um, that sort of, um, I guess, catapulted me into this advocacy and activism, you know, stage because I wrote this book that was unlike anything else that was on the shelves or out at that time because it was beautifully, the pictures were beautiful. Um, I had, um, you know, people donate poetry to me. Um, I had a guy who worked for a reputable magazine who did marketing for a magazine in Atlanta. He did the entire layout for me because he believed in what I was doing for free. And so it's a beautiful book. The typography is beautiful. You know, it's just, you know, it's something really beautiful. And so I'm very proud of it. Um, That's what got me into the sort of, advocacy and activism uh, space that I've been in for the last eight to, to eight to 10 years now. Well, yeah. I am, am proud of you and I actually can't wait to go Thank get my you. copy. I'm going to go online afterwards to, to pick it up. I think it's uh it's great. I mean, I have so many books around me. I just like having, uh, especially if I know you, I want to support you, you know? Yeah. Going to change the way I am. So listen, we are down to the last few uh, minutes. I just wanted to say thank you so much. Uh, I love you as a brother for coming on the show. 
You're incredible. Thank you. you rock the house. I think that everything that you do is great, and I can't wait to see you at Healthy Voices this year again. Um, yes. If you could leave one uh, short message for somebody who's newly diagnosed, what would you say to them? You know what? One of my favorite quotes um, is by Nayara Wahid, and it says, it is being honest about my pain that makes me invincible. And that is a quote that has gotten me through some of my darkest times. It is being really honest about what makes me cry, what makes my heart ache. Um, and me knowing those things, it really makes me invincible. And so, you know, I just would like for more people to be honest with themselves um, and be honest with the people around you because, you know, who can judge you? No one. And so don't, you know, allow this diagnosis to cripple you, to make you sad, um, to sort of take you off your game. You know, let it empower you to live your best and most authentic life. And that's what I've been doing uh, since diagnosis, honestly. <laughs> well, there you go. Guy Anthony, thank you. <laughs> so back this season, I'm excited that you came on, and I, I can't wait to see you soon. Thank you for having me. I love you so much, and you know that. Bye, everyone. Thank you. Bye-bye. And again, for more information on today's guest, you can go to his website by going to IamGuyAnthony.com. You'll, of course, find links to his book, his music, and to uh, Black Gifted in Whole. So go check him out. Again, IamGuyAnthony.com. I'm going to lead off with a positive message and then close out. I want to thank you all for joining me for this season. I'm so excited to be back on the air. Next week, we'll be joined by uh, my guest, Calvin Pug, um, Positively Calvin on all social media. You can look him up ahead of time. Uh, visit us on all social media at Pause Radio, the website for more information and archives. You can go to pauseiamradio.com. Have a great night, everybody, and enjoy the rest of your Sunday. See you next week. Hi, my name is Mara Mapala, and I've lived with HIV for 24 years now. Um, I was a young girl when I was diagnosed, and back in those days, it was a death sentence, and I was told I couldn't have children, I couldn't, was, wasn't going to live long, and basically told to just give up and um, stop living and well since then I've definitely kept living I've had two children I'm very happy I'm an HIV global advocate and activist and I found that living positive is probably one of the best things that ever happened to me it's given me experiences I've never would have imagined and I've been able to travel the world and I've been able to support amazing other people living with HIV so thank you Thank you for letting me say this, and thank you for letting me share that HIV is not a death sentence anymore and that we can be happy. Thanks for listening to Pause I Am Radio, your dose of hope. Connect with the show at pauseiamradio.com or on social media, and we'll see you next time.